Well, welcome to church this Sunday morning. So glad that you are here. Turn, wave at somebody, let them know you're glad they made it too. I am sad to see the ice melting, but I, I do like that everybody decides to come to church when that happens. So glad everybody is here. Um, so glad you could make it. It is the last day of February. That means next, next week is the first week of the month, which means that uh, women's impact will be happening on, um, or Empower, excuse me, Empower will be happening on Thursday night. So ladies, you won't want to miss it. It has been really good every week. And you know, guys, one of the advantages to this whole digital age that's going on is if you want to spy, you can catch us on uh, the services online. The teaching has been really good. They've been going through the spiritual gifts, um, and it's exciting. Next, I'll just clue you in on a secret. The, The following month, um, we're looking at something so big we decided we would not keep everybody away. So n- not that, this month it's going to be still ladies only. The next month we're going to have a special Everybody's Allowed um, because it's getting so good over there. Um, now, how many of you were here or listened last week? All right, last week we talked about um, one of those things that you know, but you forget we were talking about how to love when you don't. And um, this week, I'm, I'm continuing in a similar vein. There are sometimes there's things we know and we don't do. Um, here's another one of those verses that doesn't usually make it to a kitchen towel. But Romans 7, verse 18 and 20 says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, who wrote that? Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. That that wasn't my diary. That wasn't yours. That was Paul, who wrote most of it. He says, I'll read it again. For I do not do the good I want to do, But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. And he basically is talking about the sinful nature. He says, sometimes we know what's right, and we still struggle to do it. Um, We were talking last week about, yes, nobody argues that it's not, that, that, that uh, the Bible doesn't teach love your neighbors, but sometimes we struggle to love our neighbors, and we talked about that. Um, This week, I want to talk about something very, very basic. How many of us believe we should obey God? See, I knew it. I knew that you guys were just going to like totally agree with me, at least this far into it. It's basic. I mean, literally, one of the first things that we teach our kids is probably Colossians 3.20 that says, Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Ephesians 6.1 says basically the same thing. It says, Children, obey your parents, for this is right. It's fundamental. If we don't, if we don't obey, if we don't teach our children to obey, then well, they're not going to listen to any of the other stuff that we teach them. 
And if you think about it, obedience is really at the foundation. Oswald Chambers said something that I've always thought was extremely profound. He said, intellectual darkness comes, now let me see if I have it written down, I think he says, intellectual darkness comes through ignorance, but spiritual darkness comes because of something I do not intend to obey. So think of it this way. There are some of you here who I don't know very well. I don't know your address. I don't know how many siblings you have. There are things I don't know intellectually, and the reason is I was never told. It's ignorance. I just, I just don't know. There are topics. Many of you may work in areas that are highly specialized, and you electrify things or you program things, and I don't have a clue because I'm ignorant. In that area, I am intellectually in the dark regarding whatever it is, the complexities of what you do. However, spiritual darkness is different. Spiritual darkness isn't just about ignorance. If it was, then the most spiritual people would be always the most educated. Now, some people have that misconception. And they think, well, the more that you know, the more spiritual you will automatically be. And we recognize that is not true. When Jesus walked the earth, the most educated spiritual leaders were the Pharisees. And they were the only ones that Jesus like, just outright denounced. Because simply knowing something is not the path to spiritual enlightenment. What did Adam and Eve do that caused spiritual darkness to come? Did they skip a class? Oh, we forgot to memorize a verse, and then spiritual darkness fell on mankind. No. Adam and Eve knew what was right, And they chose to disobey. And spiritual darkness came as a result. So I'll state, I like the way that Oswald Chambers had, had said it. And he said, intellectual darkness comes through ignorance, but spiritual darkness comes because of something I do not intend to obey. When Adam and Eve chose to disobey, spiritual darkness came. Have you ever known something to be true and had friends who knew it to be true? And then, fast forward six months, a year, whatever, you suddenly see them going against their own advice. And you're like, wait a minute, you were the one lecturing me about the value of not dating someone who's an unbeliever, and now you're introducing me to your new boyfriend, girlfriend, and they're an unbeliever? And how did I, what? You, you used to know right from wrong. You lectured me about honesty, and now I catch you in a lie? You, you used to know, and, and now you're justifying something? What, 
What causes someone to no longer see clearly the spiritual truths that they once understood? Obviously, it isn't a lack of understanding because they once had the understanding. What brings that confusion and darkness? I would submit that it is a choice to disobey. And I always forget to go find them. But one of these days, I'll do it. I'm going to show up with three or four pairs of sunglasses. And I hope to find the cheap kind. I remember there was a time when, when McDonald's was giving away sunglasses in their Happy Meals, and they were cheap plastic. You know, not the kind that the world gets brighter when you put them on, but the kind, everything just dims. But you can still see. But if you put a second pair over the first pair, then it gets even darker. And then the third pair over the two pairs, and then it's even darker. Pretty soon, even with all these stage lights, I wouldn't be able to read what's written in front of my face. Why? Because each one of those layers reduced my clarity of vision, brought a new level of darkness, and pretty soon what I could see, I can't see. This is what the choice to disobey looks like. When I know what is right, and I say, hey, I'm deciding not to follow through. Then what I'm doing is I am putting a, a filter across my spiritual perception. I am darkening, I'm dimming the lights, I'm putting a set of cheap sunglasses over my spiritual eyes. And pretty soon, now that my vision and my understanding is not as clear as it was before, it's even easier for me to make another stupid decision and decide to disobey something else that I know is clear. And then pretty soon, the very things that were crystal clear to me before aren't clear at all. And the very thing that, that I may have been encouraging you in, I'm now a hypocrite doing that very thing. Blindly believing that somehow I'm justified. I'm not. There are a few reasons. So what, what do we, how do we rationalize disobedience in our minds? And I want to go to a couple of the obvious things that we often do that cause us to make those decisions to disobey what God has said. First off, I want to clarify there's a difference between wondering what God wants and knowing what God wants, okay? Sometimes you may be in a situation and you honestly say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Maybe you're a college student trying to decide what school to go to, what type of degree to pursue. And you may honestly say, you know, I have a choice between Michigan and Michigan State. What do I choose? You could ask around. I'm sure you'd have a lot of opinions. 
but you don't know for sure. However, there are times when you know what God's will is. God has said it clearly, whether it's something he said in his scripture and you know it without a doubt, or whether he's spoken to your heart and he has let you know. And there is a difference. And when I talk about this, I'm talking about when you know. When you know. John chapter 11, verses 7 through 8. Then he, the he that is talking about is Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? So Jesus himself says to his disciples, let's go. They know this is Jesus. They know what he's asking them to do. And they're trying to argue with God because they think they know what's better for them than what God does. They're like, oh, you know, last time you went there, they tried to stone you. Let's just not go. Now, what does this look like? When we think we know the outcome of what God is asking us to do better than him, so we'll do him a favor. Oh, God, I know you said to tithe, but... I learned back in first grade that 10 is more than 9, and I need a bunch of money this month, so I'm going to do you a favor, and I'll just skip tithing, and then I'll be blaster. No. And I said that on purpose. <laughs> blaster. No, you don't get it. It sounds smart to you, but when we know God's will and we choose to judge what he asks, we're missing something. First of all, it will not bring dishonor to God to follow his commandments. The disciples thought, oh, if, if we go to Judea, you're going to be attacked and stoned, and that's going to be bad for your reputation there, Lord, so let's just skip. You know what that, that looks like? You get this conviction. I, I'm supposed to talk with my neighbor. Oh, man. You know, if I just walk up to my neighbor and start a conversation, they'll think I'm weird. And if they think I'm weird and they know I'm a Christian, they'll think you're weird, God. So I'm just going to do you a favor and I'm not going to say anything. No. When we know that this is God's will, it's not going to bring uh, shame on God. The second thing is that a commandment of God cannot be judged until it's carried out. Now, when I say judged, I don't mean determined whether it is or isn't God. I mean the outcome can't be foreseen until it's obeyed. And that's where I want to clarify. I'm not saying, well, if you wonder if something is God, just do it, and then you'll find out. No, I'm saying when you know that it's God, don't try to figure out in advance exactly how it will happen. Because here is, here is something very special. When we obey God, that unleashes his supernatural influence in that situation. I want to I give you an example. So can I get a volunteer? Lucio, I want you to, I want you to, to, I want you to stand up, do three jumping jacks. Okay, sit back down. You obeyed. 
Now, are you convinced, because you obeyed what I asked you to do, that those words came directly from God? Ooh, I'm moving all over the place. I got out of the picture. Probably not. Why? Because I asked you to do something, you did it, and then everything turned out exactly the way you thought. You sat back down. The Bible says that the disciples, in John chapter 17, verse 6, it says, if you obey my commandments, you'll see they are of God. It says, I have revealed you, this is Jesus praying, to those whom you gave me out of the world. I have shown you, this is Jesus speaking to God. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. So Jesus says, I spoke to the disciples, they obeyed it, and now they're convinced that what I said came from you. For I gave them words you gave me, and they accepted them. Some translations again repeat the word obeyed right there. Obeyed them. And they knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Now, when he obeyed me, nothing crazy happened. But let's think about the experience of the disciples. They go up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we're running low to pay the taxes. We need some money and we need it now. They're here trying to collect. He says, go fishing. What? Okay, we'll obey. They obey. And the first fish they catch has the coin in its mouth to pay the taxes. We remember when some of the disciples were called, they had been out fishing all night. And then some random guy on shore tells them, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Oh, right, like that's really what was missing. We were up at prime time fishing all night long. It's not even prime time anymore. Our boat has been all over this lake. It's not like four feet or eight feet. I don't know how wide their boat was. 20 feet difference makes a big difference, but fine, they obeyed, and then what does the Bible say? The nets were so full, they were about to break. Jesus said to them, feed 5,000 people with this little boy's lunch. Now, what would have happened if they had chosen not to obey? Would they have seen the supernatural? No, you can totally tell how the picture... So there was this really crazy guy, and he said, throw your boat, your net on the other side, and we didn't. Why didn't you? Because it wouldn't have changed anything. Okay. Way to go. Good job disobeying and saving the work of casting the net one more time. Hey, there's this guy told us to go fishing to get some... When we needed tax money, and we're like, well, we're not going to catch a fish that expensive, so we didn't do it. Or, well, he wanted us to, to feed 5,000 people with one lunch, so I just ate it. Because at least I won't go hungry. Jesus said of the disciples, when they obeyed, then they knew that the word was from you. I love the story of Abraham 
when he was challenged by God with a difficult task. God told him to go to a place and led him to believe that there he would sacrifice his son. He said, go to this place and sacrifice your son. And Abraham, fully expecting to obey, went. The Bible says he lifted the knife with which to sacrifice his son. And God's angel, messenger, came and told him, don't do it. But this is what is interesting to me. Verse 15 says, The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, because you have done, what does that mean? What is, because he has done what? What did Abraham do? He obeyed. He says, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Here's the thing. Blessing is on the other side of obedience. And obedience is the trigger for supernatural. So often, we, we want to, to figure, we want to assess the situation in advance. All right, God, I know you want me to do this. I know you want me to tithe. I get it. I see it. It's right there in the scripture. It's pretty clear. Can't ignore it. But I've been doing some math. You know what, God? I, I know what you want me to do. I mean, every time I see my neighbor, my heart just burns with this, I'm supposed to go talk to them. But then I think about it and I decide that they probably, they'll probably think I'm weird. So we, we look, we know what God is encouraging us to do, what he's asking us to do, but we're assessing the situation from a natural perspective without obeying and giving the supernatural an opportunity to be a part of the equation. Because the supernatural part does not come until the obedience. But we're waiting God, prove to me that you're going to move and then I'll obey. And God's like, haven't you read the Bible over and over and over and over and over? What happened? They obeyed and then. You know, what, what was the symbolism of the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant and having to step into the river water before it would part? Why didn't he just part it before so they didn't have to get their feet wet? Over, I, I guarantee you, if you have read even a few Bible stories, you can think of a story that this applies with. Where you remember, wait a minute. It was after they obeyed that the supernatural came in and God partnered with their obedience and... Then 
it made sense. We can't, so one of the things, one of the reasons the excuses that we make to not obey is assessing, it, it's evaluating the pros and the cons before obeying. We judge our expected outcome of the situation without obeying. And then based on a, a very natural assessment of the situation, we then determine it's probably not worth obeying. But that's not the way God designed it. That's not the way he designed it. Now, even when we think about those things, there is still a struggle. There is still a struggle in our hearts to do what we know is right. Why? Because obedience by its very nature is setting aside what I want and doing what someone else wants. I set aside my desire to obey what whoever it is I'm obeying has asked me to do. The boss said, do this. Well, that's not what I wanted to do with my morning. But I'm obeying. So when I think about the struggle to set aside our own desire, I'm reminded of a story my mother told me about myself. So when, when I was younger, we were missionaries in Mexico, and uh, every so often we would come back to the States and we would visit different churches, and my parents would, would preach there and tell people about what they were doing down there in Mexico, and, and uh, so we would stay in different people's houses, and we stayed at someone's house. Now, they probably, you know, weren't what by today we would look and say standards was a wealthy family, but we thought that they had it all. You know why? They had a lamp that if you touched it, it would turn on. <laughs> so I was like three years old, and I discovered this lamp that no matter where you touched it, would turn on. And I don't know if you've ever visited somebody's house with your little kids and they don't have a bunch of little kids. There's just something about those homes. They're not childproof. Everything breakable is like on the edge of the coffee tables and all of this stuff. And they had all this nice stuff around. And here I was, this little, like, very active three-year-old running around. And, and my mom came in, and I was just sitting there poking the lamp. On, off, 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 I'm just on and off, on. Well, of course, I'm like pushing the lamp across the little table as I'm just excited at this phenomenon I had discovered. And so my mom comes to me and she says, Joshua, no, no, don't touch the lamp. Then she left the room. And she says, as most parents do, she's listening. 
to see what's going to happen. And then she hears little me saying, no, 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 no. So she comes around the corner to see what is going on. And she says, I was pointing my finger at the lamp, going, no, 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 no. Now, how many of you guys, you just know what was going on? Inside my little three-year-old body, there was a desire to touch the lamp. But I knew my mother's will. She did not want me to touch the lamp. And so inside, there's this battle going on. There's what I want and what she wants. And in order to obey, I had to let go of what I wanted, and that was not easy. So I'm sitting there, no, 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 like talking to the lamp. Like I was trying to give it excuses, like, I've been, you know I want to touch you again, but I've been told. Now, as a little three-year-old, that's cute. But we go through the same thing as adults. When we know what we're supposed to do, but our own desire conflicts with it. Now, we recognize that Jesus is our example. But I think we have the tendency to think, well, at least in this area, He's God. God wants what God wants. So, you know, it's not like he could understand how I feel. But the Bible says he did. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Jesus, going a little further, he fell down on his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This was Jesus, who was fully man but fully God, and knew what was facing him. He knew what God was requiring of him. He knew what our salvation would require. And there was a battle going on inside between what he wanted and what he knew God wanted. The Bible says that he was tested in every way like us. He had a part of him, just like you and I do, that wanted not to be crucified. What empowered him to obey? How did Jesus overcome that battle? Now, with little kids, I think we know what it is. When I was three, I was very inspired 
not to touch that lamb by the clear understanding of the consequences that would likely come if I poked the lamb. As a three-year-old, I knew if, I, if my mom comes around the corner and I'm poking this lamp again, I'm going to get a spanking. When's the last time you got a spanking? Don't answer that question. My point is, as an adult, when, when there's nobody doling out consequences like that, what is it that motivates us to obey? Jesus had the opportunity. It's very implicit in, in, in his whole conversation there that he's making a choice. He says, not my will, but yours be done. What drove him? If it wasn't fear of a spanking, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What inspires us to lay aside our will and take up someone else's is love for them. Love. Love is what inspired Jesus to lay aside what he wanted and to obey. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus says, If you love me, that is where the power to obey will come from. Galatians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith works through love. If we love, then we are inspired to give. I'm going to... To give an example, it's a totally made-up story, but to me, it illustrates it very well. I want you to imagine a couple very much in love who are dating. Okay, They're sitting there. They've decided they're going to watch a movie. And he's there you know, holding her hand. And she says, Would you mind getting me a drink? Does he want to get her a drink? Not until she asked. Like, he's enjoying her company. He wants to be sitting there holding her hand. But she says, he says, oh, sure, what would you like? You know, I just, I just would really like a lemonade. So he pops up off the couch. He runs into the kitchen. He's got water. He's got sugar. He doesn't have any lemons. But then he remembers there's a lemon tree in the front yard. He goes out there. The neighbor kids have picked all the lemons that are within reach. But if he climbs up into the higher branches, he can still get one. So he's out there climbing the tree, getting the lemon. He comes back. He gets the the lemon. He does that. Now, is he upset? No. He is about to please the woman he loves, right? 
So he makes the lemonade. He's gone through all of that effort. He comes back. Here you are, honey, your lemonade. You know, famously, the romantic gesture is to say, you know, whatever you want. If you want the moon, I'll last so it and pull it down here for you. Why, why are those things so attached to romance? Because we understand that when there is love, there is a desire, there is a willingness to sacrifice. Right? So he hands her the lemonade. Now imagine that next door is an extremely irritating neighbor. And when I think of an extremely irritating neighbor, I think of Steve Urkel. But half of you don't even know who Steve Urkel is. Steve Urkel was from like the late 80s, early 90s, and he was an obnoxious nerd of a neighbor who would come in and he was famous for saying, like messing things up and then being like, did I do that? And so you have this neighbor who comes in who you don't get along with, who irritates you to no end, and he walks in and he sees that delicious lemonade being consumed by the love of your life. And he says, oh, can I have one of those? Now, how many of you think that that same person is likely to hop up and be like, sure, all I got to do is go back over there, climb to the top of the lemon tree, get another lemon, come back down, go through all of that hassle because I'm just as happy to make you a lemonade as I was for her. No way. If you want to get a lemonade, get it yourself. Why? Because there's no love in that relationship. There's no pleasure in sacrificing for someone who, for whom you have no love. See, obedience is, we could say it's easy when there's love. Since the 80s was only a little ways back, we're going to go even farther. How many of you remember Mary Poppins? I think there's been remakes like every 10 years or something of Mary Poppins. But nonetheless, she had a famous comment. In fact, I think she had a whole song that said, a spoonful of sugar. Does anybody remember it? All right, say that out loud. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. What was she saying? Medicine tastes gross. Or at least it used to. But what would make it go down easier? A spoonful of sugar. I titled this message, A Spoonful of Love. Because a spoonful of love helps the obedience go down. See, if I am struggling, if I am looking in my life and I am saying, you know what? I know what is right to do, but I do not find the motivation to do it. I mean, I know it. I know I should. I know what I need to do. But honestly, it feels like trying to make lemonade for the obnoxious neighbor. I, I don't want to go there. We see that love is what inspired Jesus. Love is what strengthens us to do and to sacrifice. 
So, we love. How do I, how do I fall back in love with God? How do I do that? You know, it has to do with time spent. You know, if, if I want to, interestingly enough, if, if, if you're dating someone, what do you do? You spend time with them. Now, here's the thing. Someone says, well, but I don't want to spend time. I don't really want to do that. We're talking about God. Good news is, He is amazing. And if you do not find that you have a hunger for time with God, I challenge you, take a bite. I'm not saying, you know what? Time with God. You don't have to go from zero to three hours of devotional a day. Don't do that. Just start with a little. And here's the thing. That part of you that is spending time, that, that little bit of, of time in God's Word, a little bit of, of worship music on the drive to the office instead of morning talk radio, that little bit of time that you set aside to spend with God, it will, it will awaken. It will imbue with life that portion of you. And whereas before there was seemingly no part of you, they wanted, now there's this little part that's been given hunger. See, in spiritual things, spiritually... The more that we eat, the hungrier we get. It's the opposite of natural things. Thanksgiving comes, Christmas comes, you go, you eat like crazy, and what do you, what do you feel like after that big old meal? It's like, oh, I don't think I want to eat for days. But spiritually, it's the opposite. The less you eat, the less you want. The less time you spend with God, the less desire you have for time with God. And pretty soon you're like, I don't know. I can go without that. That's no big deal. You know, we've, we change our spiritual appetites. For some people, COVID has been a time when they, the change in routine meant that they took some time. And pretty soon they found like they were enjoying that time. So they, they took a little more and it wasn't that hard. Why? Because now they had an enjoyment, they had a love for it, and it was easy and so they've grown. Other people, it's had the opposite effect because the routines changed. And they just thought, well, I can do without for a little bit. I'll go back to it later. And then the hunger died. They don't even realize how spiritually starved they are because they don't feel hungry. And I don't know if you've ever fasted or been without food for a while but the first couple days man you are hungry and then your stomach actually shuts down 
It's like, well, if you're not going to send me anything, I'll just go on pause. And people who haven't had food for days, you say, aren't you really feeling hungry? Well, no. I mean, I feel weak. I feel tired. But I don't feel hungry. And a lot of people, that's where they're at spiritually, is they knew what was right, but they chose to do something else. And then that hunger has just waned. What do I do? Just start with a few bites. And the, the part of you that is, that is awakened by that time with the Lord will, will make it easier to do more and to do more. A spoonful of love helps the obedience go down. All of us, all of us have things that we want. Anybody doesn't? We all have things we want. Sometimes it will look like following Christ means sacrificing. But the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. God says, in the long run, when you choose to put me first, when you obey, I will make it worth your while. You can't figure it out in advance. When you try to calculate what's going to happen after you obey, you'll always get it wrong because you can't mathematically account for the supernatural intervention that comes and is released by obedience. The disciples experienced it over and over. And we can experience it too. I want to encourage you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you love us, that you have plans for us. Lord, I just pray that you would reveal those plans to us. I ask that you would touch each of our hearts and show us an area where perhaps we have put aside, we have either disobeyed or put aside obedience, postponed obedience, thinking that somehow we knew better. Lord, we just pray that you would show us those situations. We ask that you would inspire in our hearts the love that comes from spending time with you. That you would enable us to make the decisions necessary to obey and to see your supernatural released in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.